Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Emmy Lou Harris performs at Capital One Hall in Tyson's, Virginia on October 28th for the Lantern Tour to raise money for the Women's Refugee Commission. I spoke with her about the humanitarian cause, as well as her iconic career evolving from folk music to country standards like two more bottles of wine. Hey, Miss Harris, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. I'm happy to be joining you. <laughs> Now we're talking yeah. because um, you are headlining what's called the Lantern Tour. It's going to be uh, at the brand new Capital One Hall, October 28th in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. And then I know it's going to hit some other cities in um, Pennsylvania and New Jersey after that um, all next weekend. Um, but uh, explain how you were, you know, you were contacted by the Women's Refugee Commission. They're the ones putting this together. You know, give us a sense of like what sort of the mission of that commission and, and the, sort of the goal of the tour here. Well, Women's Refugee Commission, uh, you know, has been working for decades uh, on behalf of uh, refugees, especially um, uh, women and children. And um, I have a very good friend, Gail Griffith, from the Washington, D.C. area. We started doing these in the round shows uh, in the last century, actually, back in the 90s. Uh, on a campaign for a landmine-free world. And we got the idea to do this in the round format, which I'm not really headlining, by the way. I, I'm just kind of um, uh, the one that gets to go first. <laughs> but it's an in the round, you know, with these other wonderful artists, Steve Earle and uh, Amy Helm, um, uh, Larry and Teresa Campbell, Gabby Marino and Dow Tao, who's, uh, uh, I, we, I've done a show with her before too. Um, so it's an in the round where everyone sort of takes a turn doing a song. There's a lot of conversation and interaction. It's very spontaneous. The shows are always different. We never know what anyone is going to do on any particular night. So um, it's it's a, a lovely kind of intimate show where you're almost like in someone's living room. And people are, it's called, it started as a guitar pull um, that we used to call it. And now it's sort of become an in the round. But um, we're really hoping to shine a light, a light on this, the crisis now that's happening with uh, displaced people, refugees around the world. Um, I think that there are probably over 60 million displaced persons now, which is more than after uh, World War II. And something has to be done. We obviously want to raise money uh, for the good work, the extraordinary work that the Women's Refugee Commission does. Uh, in helping uh, these 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 folks, uh, and um, and 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 communicate to, to so that the audience will be aware of the breadth of the problem if they are not already, and so it's it's basically a fundraising and a consciousness raising event. 
Great. Well, it's, it's definitely a great cause. And it sounds like, you know, you, you and the fellow artists are going to be playing in the round. Are you able to give us um, a little, you know, tidbit on, on what we might hear you perform specifically? Do you know what, you know, I don't want to ruin the set list per se, but you know, I, what, what I will you have, be performing? I have no idea. The, the point is, is that um, you kind of uh, songs that work in that intimate setting where you don't have a band, you don't have a drummer and all that stuff. But I've found I've done so many of these in the rounds over the years. Basically, you're stripping down those songs, whether it's something you wrote or something that you worked up from someone else. And you're, you're hearing that that really the bare bones of the song and a good song can work, you know, in any situation. And uh, I particularly enjoy them because I have the best seat in the house. All of all of the artists do it's a show where we're performing but we're also a part of the audience we just happen to be on the stage well it'll be a great show especially with all those artists other artists you listen listed too um you know whenever i have someone of your stature on i love to hear sort of your your whole journey you know so i know you were born in birmingham alabama and you were grew up in in like a military family right what wasn't a lot of our listeners might not know wasn't your father like uh, actually a pow he was a pow in um the Korean War. He 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 was in the, uh, World War II, and then he uh, sort of um, got out of the service. I mean, he was still in, uh, so that when um, when the Korean conflict occurred, they still call it a conflict. Um, he went back in, and he was shot down. Uh, he had only been over there, uh, I think, about ten days, if that. And so he he spent uh, the war in a, in a prisoner of war camp. And actually, we did not know until he was actually released whether he was officially, he was officially listed as missing in action. So we didn't know really whether he was dead or alive. And um, I was only five at the time, um, but I know it was really hard on my mother, but she always said she, that she knew, she knew in her heart that, and we were lucky he came back to us, even though he had been tortured in the prison camp we were lucky he came back to us a whole, you know, physically and, and mentally, emotionally. He had, he had that wonderful wife, you know, to come back to and his two children. So um, we, we were very fortunate as a military family whose, um, you know, father saw, saw you know, two, two wars. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's sort of the military side of it. But, you know, while you and, you know, you know, mom back home, um, you're growing up. How did you get into music? You know, what sort of stuff was playing around the house? You know, and how did you get bit by the bug, I guess? Well, I, I would say that probably it was the um, well, definitely I was in high school because uh, I really didn't consider I, I was considered musical. I played in the marching band and my parents tried to give me piano lessons. I wasn't interested but when I discovered the uh, folk music through the folk music revival that happened around there, there in the 60s, uh, and I got my first guitar and wanted to be Joan Baez and learned every three chord song I could, uh, that was when it, it, I got bitten by that bug. And I guess I never looked back. Wow, yeah, and and you really didn't look back because you went on to study at a at what was it University of North Carolina Greensboro. Well, yeah, um, but I, guess... I was a drama major. I really thought I was going to be an actress, this is a great actress, but music, I guess, kind of quickly took over. I didn't really ever study music. I played. I would play whenever I could around campus, um, and and then eventually quit school, and. Um, 
and just took myself to New York City, uh, where I became a waitress. <laughs> now, where, where, uh, what, what restaurants are any of them still standing? Uh, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, uh, I, I, I left and oh, actually went back home. I had married and had a had a daughter, and my marriage broke up, and I went back home to to mommy. Uh, and they and my parents, my father had um, had retired from the Marine Corps by then, and they had settled in um, Clarksville, Maryland. And um, that's right here by where we are at our radio stations yes. right here in D.C. And that's right. And so uh, I started sort of uh, coming back into D.C. with my guitar and started playing. My parents were a great help with my my infant daughter that allowed me to to go in and start working in the clubs uh, Tammany Hall and uh, Clyde's and um, uh, the child hair, all the assembly, wherever I could work. And I was in one of those clubs uh, at Clyde's when uh, I met Graham Parsons and went on to work with him on two records before he died. Now, which and, Clyde's was this? Was this the one in Georgetown? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Clyde's in Georgetown. I think it was the only one at the time. Right. Then they expanded, I think, with other ones over in whatever in Chinatown. And then there's one actually right by our station up near the Bethesda line, Chevy Chase area. But uh, yeah, you're right. Started the Hamilton and uh, they've been wonderful at uh, giving me a uh, fundraise every year for my dog rescue that I started here in Nashville. Oh, yeah. Clyde's and the Hamilton are, are fixtures around here. And yeah, you'll see your name on the bill at the Hamilton constantly, like at least once a year there. Well, um, we're hoping to do it. We couldn't do it last year because of the pandemic. I'm hoping we can start it up again this year, but eventually I will be back for my annual uh, fundraiser for Bonaparte's retreat, my dog rescue. Oh, for sure. Um, all dogs in the area will appreciate that, including our, our my wife and I's little dog. I <laughs> appreciate that. Um, hey, real quick, I want to double back to, you know, we mentioned, you know, the waiting tables in, in New York, but um, I don't want to skip over the main thing up there, which was, you know, you were performing at, you know, different places, coffee shops and things around Greenwich Village. Uh, just talk about how, how that sort of helped shape you. Well, I think anytime as an unknown, you have to get in front of an audience. <laughs> And and uh, and make them listen to you. And sometimes they don't. And sometimes they do. Um, you have to really love it, <laughs> um, because sometimes you can feel like you're just treading water. I know by the time I left New York with my infant daughter in tow, I, I was pretty much thought that music was not going to be my future. And because Washington D.C. was such an extraordinary music town, not the way New York and Austin and Nashville and LA, but local music. It really supported local music. And there were wonderful art groups there, you know, Fat City, which became um, uh, Starland Vocal Band and Roberta Flack came from there and Mary Chapin because there were lots of clubs. And I think maybe being a college town, uh, there were lots of places for people to come and you could actually build your own audience. You could build your own following from the ground up. None of us had record deals, you know, so you were you were finding yourself, you were finding your voice, you were finding your repertoire. You know, I mean, there's no uh, substitute for, you know, having to pay your dues and pay your pay the rent. <laughs> yeah you paid your dues and you mentioned you know Graham Parsons is sort of you know discovered you down here and talk about starting to work with him you know right before he passed well I, I just did the two records with him 
And we did one tour uh, with a group called Fallen Angels. And um, so it, it, it was a, a blow, you know, to lose Graham, uh, who was really my mentor and really turned my head toward country music because before that I was a stone cold folk, folky, you know, and, and actually didn't have a very high opinion of country music, which, you know, I, I'm very humble to say that now. I, I didn't hear the beauty and the poetry and the, you know, uh, in country music until I started working with Graham. What would you say? Uh, I mean, I want to keep the chronological journey going, but just stepping back for one second, what would you say to other people maybe that that just like you sort of thought down on country music, either back then or even today? You know, what would you say to them to help open their eyes to the, really the beauty of what is, you know, one of my favorite genres? Well, I would say listen to George Jones and Merle Haggard. <laughs> And well, there's just so much to it, you know, and you have uh, 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 the, the bluegrass um, that um, also was kind of right in between, you know, you got those crossroads with um, country music, hardcore country, mountain music and, and hardcore bluegrass and so, so much of American music. Well, right now it's sort of become Americana. So um but you have to find your own voice. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the, 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 the physical voice, but the, the music that really melts your butter, you know, and, and um, makes you want to get up there night after night. And, and it's all, all those different uh, streams of music uh, come together because we, we have, we're able to hear everything now. Um, all, all music is available now at, at, you know, you just go on the internet and you can find all kinds of music. Um, but everyone I think has to find their, their own voice. Well, I'm glad you started to, you came around to appreciate it there back, um, you know, back thanks to, to Grant Parsons. So, and then after that, how, were you, how were you approached by Warner brothers? Wasn't they, and they formed the, it was called the hot band. Explain, tell, remind our listeners about that era of your career. Well, of course, Graham was a repri Warner reprise artist. And so I, I had that connection because I had sung so much on the, those two records, those two solo records that he did. And um, in fact, I think that the people at Warner Brothers assumed that I was under contract. Um, but um, when they found out I wasn't, they, they, they started, they found me <laughs> and uh, I was able to get that contract. Great, great. Well, there's we'd be here all day if we talked about all all of your hits. But um, if you don't mind, I'd love to drill down on just a couple of them. Um, if you have time, tell me about Together Again. Uh, I think that was that your first number one, I believe. Um, I'm trying to think. Anyway, if if I could only win your love, reach pretty high, well, and then Together Again might have been Together Again might might have been my first one. I I don't really keep track of that, <laughs> but. Yeah, that that well, that was just a great song, which Buck Owens had a hit on it. So, uh, but I guess my audience were, uh, I, I, I think uh, I might have brought some people who weren't into country music before into it, but I always uh, was able, you know, tried to tip the hat to the people that had inspired me, you know, like Buck Owens and and those great uh, country country stars. 
Well, yeah. So that was, you said that was, you know, reprising a Buck Owens hit. And then of course you also took on the legendary Patsy Cline sweet dreams and, and made that a, a number one record to it. Um, what was sort of the, the, the trick to taking a voice so iconic as the late Patsy Cline and making it your own? Well, uh, if I like a song, I just don't worry about it. I just learned to sing it. I had a great band and a great producer. And that is a great song. So I guess at the, at the time, and we had recorded that live. It wasn't sort of recorded in the studio. It, it was, we recorded it live at the Roxy in LA. It was sort of the last um, hurrah of the hot band version with James Burton. But then we, we had Albert Lee step in. So we didn't really miss a beat. And we had two very iconic, you know, lead guitar players in my band, uh, as well as Frank Record, who came in later. So um i was really lucky to have these wonderful musicians for sure and then i know the one that most of our listeners will probably think of you know is maybe like your career song you know they say your name then they'll think of two more bottles of wine um why do you think that one works so well or do you have any any cool stories of you know of recording that one uh, no we just uh you know we would always go in the studio and i was looking because at that point you know, I wasn't really writing, so I, I was always trying to find songs that uh, other people had written. And Delbert, uh, I loved that record of his, that particular record. Um, and we needed an up-tempo song, so we just threw it out one night. And, um, you know, I don't know what a hit record is. I really don't. And fortunately, I haven't had to live and die by hit records. My my Somehow, my audience will listen to whatever I put out. So, and I, I don't have to play the hits every night if I don't want to, uh, you know, it's mostly album cuts. And, um, and, and that I, probably why I've been around so long because I, I don't ever get tired of anything. Yeah, for sure. Well, listeners never got tired either. A lot of your fans will remember Blue Kentucky Girl. That album had, you know, obviously the title track, I think won you a Grammy, but Beneath Still Waters as well. Like that was such a such a big album in your career. Um, do you look back fondly at that album particularly? Well, I do because the record company, there was one time when I had gone so far into the country weeds that they didn't really know uh, how to promote it. And um and then uh, it won the Grammy and somehow it was like, oh yeah, this one is okay too. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I'm not ever going after the hits. You know, for me, it's a bunch of songs that I really love that I want to record. And then if you have a hit, uh, great, but I, I haven't had to live and die by, by the hits on the radio. For sure. Well, certain ones, hits or not, live on. Like, tell me about Bluebird Wine. I mean, I feel like that might be one of your most, uh, you know, cherished ones and celebrated ones, at least for, for you know, country fans. Oh, really? Well, it was, it, for me, it's special because it was the first time I ever heard Rodney Crowell. It was a demo that Brian played me. And I, I knew immediately that this guy had the right stuff. And so that was the beginning of a, you know, almost 50 year friendship and the fact that you know we did two albums together Rodney and I so so that was sort of the the beginning of of something a relationship that's been really important to me I mean I encourage listeners to check out Boulder to Birmingham get up John so many but yeah let's circle back around <laughs> before we run to the reason we're here which is the Lantern Tour Women's right. Refugee okay. Commission um why why is this such an, an urgent time for for a concert tour like this 
Well, right now, besides the gender equality and all the issues that that um, the Women's Refugee Commission has been putting their extraordinary energy and time and effort into, we have a crisis uh, of, of displaced persons, uh, over 60 million, uh, and it's growing. Uh, and so uh, that's, I think, probably the main focus right now. Uh, that was what got me into it. Uh, through a friend of mine who was very aware of the issue and, and put together this, this tour. And we did one a couple of years ago too. Um, so uh, this, is a, this is the biggest crisis of displaced persons since World War II. And uh, something has to be done about it. So this is basically a fundraiser uh, to address all the issues that the Women's uh, Refugee Commission is dealing with. Uh, um, but uh, I think this one, is um, it has it is really enormous right now, and we want to raise money, but we also want to raise people's consciousness and uh, open their hearts and minds to what's going on around the world. Um, Are there particular areas in the world that that you know that they're focusing on? Do you know? Uh, I I think it's all it, this is happening everywhere, and of course now we have Afghanistan, uh, the most recent one. But uh, and we have it right here at our own borders, uh, the Mexican border. Uh, it, this is going on. So um, it, this is this is a very uh, a momentous time in world history, and it, we'll see how we step up as a civilization. You know, if we lead with our hearts or not, uh, if we close ourselves off or if we open ourselves up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for doing the tour. Um, again, it's at the brand new Capital One Hall in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. It just opened a couple of weeks ago. It'll be on October 28th. And I guess it might be our area's first time seeing you perform live since the Kennedy Center honors. Didn't, uh, memories of that really quick before we run. I mean, so you mentioned Joan Baez was such a inspiration to you growing up, but, um, that must've been really cool to, to join some of your, your fellow legendary musicians. There was a couple of you on stage uh, getting to salute the legend herself. Uh, it was me and Mary Chapin doing, okay. we shall come. You have to understand that, uh, being asked to, first of all, uh, sort of do the tribute to her. I, I videotaped something when they thought that they weren't going to actually have the event. Uh, I had to write something and I felt the weight of the generation on top of me to say all the accolades that that so many of us around the time that Joan uh, came, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, burst upon the world with that glorious voice and um, and all that she has done, not just for music, but for um, uh, human rights around the world. Um, you know, she sort of uh, is so iconic that I felt that the weight of a generation to come up with the right words to truly honor her. And then they said, well, we actually decided we want you to perform. And I love Mary Chapin Carpenter so much. I love her work. I love her voice. Singing with her for Joan Baez is probably one of the highlights. Very stressful <laughs> going into it, but to, to have that to have been able to be blessed enough and honored enough to be a part of an honor for this woman who I owe so much to for inspiring me to pick up a guitar in the first place. Um, that, that was, that was something it really oh, was. Yeah. doesn't get much 
much bigger than that and singing we shall overcome and it's but it was a different year too it was like a hybrid of virtual and in-person you know things around yeah. the kennedy center campus and i guess let, let's sort of end there you know it's been a it's been a, a really heartaching you know last depressing in a way 18 months um but some silver linings of inspiration throughout as well but you know what what's sort of your you know how shall we say it prayer, prayer for the world and yeah how, how did you you know manage well we we were all you know uh being around our family and our close friends i was actually able to do some shows some benefits i also work for for animal rights and i have a, a dog rescue my own dog rescue and i work with another social enterprise that helps at-risk youth uh, work with with um, homeless animals, so I was able to do some shows uh, over the pandemic because one of our local clubs, the City Winery, uh, created a um, performance space in their parking lot. So uh, every few months, I was able to do a benefit with different friends would show up of mine, different musicians who live in town, and we we were able to raise money uh, for the animals and for the young people. So. So it wasn't like going out on tour, but it was still playing music with my friends. Uh, in a, they made it a very safe uh, situation. They streamed it instead of having packed houses. They had only a few people in the audience and, the, and there was separation. Everyone had to be um, their temperature taken and everything. So, um, and that's still going on. I've got a couple of shows coming up uh, next month. One with Buddy Miller and one with Rodney Crowell at the, the winery. So. So it, I guess it was just enough, you know, to keep the juices flowing and not rust my vocal cords rust over. Um, and then the, the gigs started coming back in May, the gigs that had been uh, uh, postponed started coming back in May. So I've been going out maybe a couple of times a month with my band, mostly outdoor shows and the, uh, the indoor shows, everyone is masked. So I've been really lucky, I guess. I, 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 I was able to float and then do enough shows to just sort of keep everything going. Definitely. Well, we're glad you know you're you're back out there, especially for this event. Um, again, everyone, it is the Women's Refugee Commission is putting on. It's called the Lantern Tour. It kicks off October 28th at the new Capital One Hall in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, um, before hitting Pennsylvania and New Jersey on the 29th and 30th. But head over to Capital One Hall first on the 28th and uh, see uh, a bunch of great performers, including uh, the legendary Emily Harris. So, hey, thanks yeah. so much for joining us. Thank you so much for, for shining a light on this effort. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.